Y'all, welcome to the porch, Dallas, Texas. It's so good, it's so good to, to be here worshiping with all of you. And God is at work in this place, in this city. We've been praying all day for you, specifically, like every seat, every row, you have been prayed for, we've been asking God to move in power. And there's others that we wanna to acknowledge too as I look into these cameras, because all across the nation, uh, there are people gathered, young adults. But right now, tonight, we wanna to recognize Fort Worth and Indianapolis, and where else? Somewhere else, where else? Remind me. Tulsa, that's right, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dude, so welcome Porch Live locations, those three and everyone else. And uh, I'm thankful to be with you. My name is John, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church. And I wanna tell you about a time, and uh, I want you to know up front too, I've like felt like I'm on the verge of crying all day. Um, I think because of this message that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. And so I was sitting across from my grandfather, technically it was my grandfather-in-law, my, my wife, Laura, her grandfather. We were at my in-law's ranch and he was there and he, he at this point in his life had been diagnosed with cancer. He was dying. And my grandfather was an uh, agnostic, like, I don't know if there is a God. He would always say like, well, if I die, whenever we share the gospel, he's like, if I die, I, I reserve the right to be surprised. I'm like, well, no, actually you don't. Like once you die, the surprise that you will see, it'll be too late, your fate will be sealed. As scripture says, it's appointed for man to die once and then face judgment. Like that'll be it. And he was an atheist. He's like, at times, I think because of the loss that he had been through, he lost his wife and his daughter to cancer, just like anger. Like if there is a God, I don't want anything to do with him, so I'm just gonna say you don't exist because where were you in my greatest time of need? Never vocalized or verbalized those things, but the, you could just, the pain was there. And then I would say he was pantheistic, meaning God was everything and in everything. And so we, my wife and I, Laura, sharing the gospel with him on repeat throughout you know, my 10 years that he got to be my grandfather's, the grandfather never had. And, and we're in Colorado once at his little cabin and I said, hey, this is who Jesus is. You know my story. I was an alcoholic. I was a bad person. Jesus saves me. Like I didn't decide to change. He saved me, changed me. I was forgiven of my sins. I wasn't given a better life, but a new life. And he's just politely listening. And he's like, uh-huh. I'm just like, who, who, who do you think made all this? Looking at like the beauty of Colorado. And he's like, well, I believe God is in the deer and God is in the mountains and my, my church is the mountains. And it was just, it was animism, pantheism. So there we are sitting at the dining room table at the, my in-law's ranch and he pulls out a guitar. I'd never, I didn't even know he played guitar. He's an old like Korean war vet fighter pilot and uh, pulls out this guitar. It's like, we called him Daw affectionately. Like that was his name. That's what my wife called him when she was a little kid before she could speak. She called him Daw. And we're like, Daw, I didn't know you played the guitar. And he's like, well, I, I dabble. <laughs> and, uh, and he starts to, to play. And I was like, well, how, where did you learn to play this? And he's like, oh, my, my friend from the Bog Riders taught me. And I was like, the what? And he's like, the Bog Riders. I was like, I don't, he was missing teeth at this point in his life. You know, I, I didn't know what he was saying. I'm like, Daw, I don't know what you're saying. Like, hold on, what, who taught you this? Like, where did you learn to play the guitar? He's like, the bog riders. I'm like, I don't know, what, what are you saying? He's like, he leans down, he sets his guitar down. He's like, do you not know what a bog rider is? As if I was the one that was, I'm like, what? No, no, no one knows what a bog rider is, frankly. 
I was like, no, I don't, I don't know what a bog rider is. He lays the guitar on his lap. And he's like, oh, well, the bog rider is the worst job that a cowboy could have. It's the job that, that no cowboy wants to have, but he must have if he's a good cowboy. You see, the bog rider, he rides to all the bogs because when the rains stop and the watering holes begin to dry up, Cattle will go to those known watering holes, and in order to get to the water that is now receded, they'll go further and further into the mud just to get to the water. And then when they get the water that they desired, they're stuck. They're stuck in that bog, B-O-G. And the birds of death start swirling, the vultures, the buzzards, knowing that cow, that livestock, that sheep is not getting out. This is a certain death. And so they begin to descend and they're swirling. But the bog rider begins to watch the sky and the horizon and he goes to all of the bogs, all of the creeks, the lakes, the tanks, the ponds in search of any stray that rather than following him back to safe pasture got stuck in one of the bogs. And when he finds a cow that's stuck in a bog, my grandfather tells me, he gets off of his horse, he ties the lasso to the saddle horn, then he takes the lasso and he can't just throw it around the cow because what would happen is, is it would go around its neck and the force and weight of the mud, the suction, the weight that's upon it, if he were to pull it out at that point, it would kill what he would go on to rescue. And so instead, the bog rider gets off of his horse and with a small hand shovel, begins shoveling out as he is immersed now in the, the muck and mire in the bog. He's now in where he does not want to be, taking all of that filth upon him, simply to rescue this animal. And then he puts it around the horns of the animal or maybe the legs and begins then to instruct and get the horse to pull it out. Now he's covered in total filth, dirty from head to toe. The, the cow often, he said, would just like kick and thrash against the very one who saved him, flinging mud up onto his face, knocking off his hat, losing things in the mud. And then he goes back to the mess hall and he just looks like the greatest fool. As everyone else has already been there, they're all cleaned up, they've done their work, and here comes the bog rider. For the sake of one, just one, covered head to toe, but in faithfulness would go and do that. And then <laughs> my agnostic, atheist, pantheist, animistic grandfather looks at me across the table with tears in his eyes. And he says, you know, John, my friend tells me that Christ is the great bog rider. I was like, he is. He is, doll. He is the great bog rider. Like, there's no greater explanation. That's what he did. Dog, when I was dying in my alcoholism, I was so stuck, living on a couch, gun to my head, wanting to die, knowing I was dying. The birds of death were swirling around me. As doctors told me, if you keep dying, drinking, you'll die. There was no way out. I tried quitting on my own. I was stuck, dog. But I cried out to Jesus. And the filth that he took upon himself was the bog of sin that I was stuck in. And he saved me, and he'll save you too. 
And he said something to the effect of, I'm happy that he's brought you peace. And then went into singing Home on the Range. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, God, I've been praying and petitioning for this man's life. He's dying of cancer. He just shared the gospel in a sense with me by saying Christ is the great bog rider. And there is a veil blocking his heart and mind that he cannot see Jesus for who he is, nor can he see the bog of sin that he is stuck in. And it haunted me. And I was sitting at my desk and I'm just thinking about the bog rider and I'm thinking about my grandfather and I pull out my phone, my little ESV Bible app, and I search bog, B-O-G, search. One instance, one singular instance in the entirety of these scriptures is the word bog, B-O-G. Psalm 40, verse one through three. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. You think about one, an animal that's stuck in a bog and can't move and the crying out that it would do knowing the certain death. And all you can do is wait. What are you gonna do? You have nothing to do but wait patiently and cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, the bog rider, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's a psalm by David. David wrote the psalm. It, it, it says that it's recorded right there to the choir master of David. And I'm looking at the verses and I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, out of the miry bog. That's literally the picture that I was just told of this bog rider. Like, God is, Christ is, Jesus is the bog rider. Just riding to the bogs of sin to find those who are waiting and crying out to him and then setting their feet upon a rock. And I'm reading it and my mind is blown because of this. I'm like, wait, David wrote this. David, before he was a king, was a rancher. David, David was writing what he had done hundreds of times. He was caring for sheep. And when a sheep gets wet or weighted down by water or by mud, that's it, game over. And David, I believe, from this, knowing what he had done, he had gone to the bogs in search of the strays who didn't follow the voice of the shepherd, David. And so he went back, searched the bogs, knowing that there might have been one that had strayed that was doomed for death, and pulled it out of the miry bog and set its feet upon a rock. He heard the cry of the sheep. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Da David's writing about what he had done for his sheep. And he's like, that's what you did for me, God. What he had done for his sheep, he's considering it. Maybe it was one day and he literally had been 
taking that sheep and all the mud and filth and excrement upon himself of that trapped one and stopped and paused in that moment was like, oh my goodness. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He rescued me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock like, God, you've done this for me and put it down in a psalm inspired by the Spirit. And so the actions of David that you see in Psalm 40 is that he was saved. Then you will see in verses six through eight that he was surrendered, he was saved, then he was surrendered, and then he spoke. There's a refrain throughout Psalm 40 He says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And the reason that they would do that is because David was saved by the bog rider. Then he was surrendered to the will of God. And then he speaks. He can't help but speak. Like, I'm going to tell everybody of your deeds in the great congregation. That's the refrain. That's the response that David's like, I'm about to tell everybody. Because I believe that everyone has sin, but not everybody has a savior. And so I'm going to tell everybody what you have done for me, that you are the great bog rider, that you save us out of the bog, the pit of destruction. And I'm going to tell everyone in my surrendering, I will speak. I will not restrain my lips as the scriptures say. And then the actions of God are the great bog rider. He hears cries. He inclines his ear. He's listening for the cries of the one who was stuck. And truly, everyone is stuck, but only some cry. And then he draws up from the pit of destruction. He makes us secure. He puts a new song in your mouth, not a better song, a new song, because he gives a new life. And then he moves others to see and fear and put their trust in him, this ripple effect. And so if I'm you, I'm sitting there, I'm like, really? But really, is that just a good story from a grandpa? Really is Christ the great bog rider? You found one verse, Psalm 40. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, and the opposite of peace, just being turmoil and chaos and desperation, like the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Listen, the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the one who seeks after you. He's the one who laid down his life. He went into the bog, the pit of destruction. He went into sin and death to pull you out. And then after having laid down his life, he walked out of that pit of destruction alive and raised again. It's the gospel, it's the gospel. It's that everyone is in a pit of destruction. It's sin. And it's unloving to not tell someone that they have sin. Like, like how horrific to be like, I don't know, man, uh, you do you. Who am I to judge? Or rather to be like, man, everybody's got sin. Me foremost, let me tell you all about it. But I don't just have sin, I have a savior. It's Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. Everyone has sin and what we get because of our sin is death. It says, but the free gift of God. There's nothing anyone stuck in a bog can do to earn that. That is only the love and mercy and grace of the one coming to rescue. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so there's two people in the room tonight. You're one of two people. You're either crying in the pit of destruction. You're in the pit of destruction right now and that cry may be so faint, that cry might sound like anger or rejection or scoffing at God, just like my grandfathers did. But if you're in a pit of destruction, if you're in that bog of sin, the response is to cry out, save me. Or you've been saved from that miry bog. You've had your feet set upon the rock. Christ, the great bog rider, has saved you, and now he's put a new song in your mouth. And so you're either crying or you're singing. You're crying or you're singing. And the other two people that are in this room, and you're one of two here also, is you're either in need of being saved or you're in need of surrendering. You either need to be saved to place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, believing that he died the death on the cross for you, sinless savior of all mankind, he died for you. It's not just that it's true, it's true for you, for your sins, not just for sins, your sins, and believing that God raised him from the dead and that if you call out to him for everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in that God raised him from the dead will be saved, you're in need of saving or you're in need of surrendering because you can be saved and not surrendered. When it says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was to come, the one who would lay down his life, who would go into sin and death on our behalf, lay down his life that we might go free and then he would take it back up his life again. You can believe in that, be saved and not be surrendered. And thus you wouldn't experience the full abundant life. Like Jesus says, I've come to give them life that they might have it to the full. And you're like, dude, I don't, I don't have that. She feels like, nah, straddling the fence. Like Reagan said, of, of the world and of Christ. And so you're either in need of being saved or in need of surrendering. And tonight you're gonna be met with that choice. Tonight you'll be met with that choice. But surely Christ is the great bog rider. And then my mind was blown again. So I'm thinking about the bog rider, I'm thinking about David being a rancher, <laughs> and that he's saving sheep. How, he, how many he must have gone, like stepped down into the mud. We know that he fought off bear and lion in order to rescue a sheep. In this case, I believe that he literally stepped into all that filth to rescue out his livestock as a rancher to save. But it goes on, we know from the Bible, like nobody had a sheep as a pet. It just wasn't a thing. Still not a thing to this day, typically. Like, no, but David wasn't raising sheep to be like, all right, here's my little flock, and I'm just gonna, they're gonna live to a ripe old age, and one day they'll get kind of old, and man, I won't even put them down. I'll just I'll bury them with a little, you know, cross in the yard, and there's Geppetto, and there's Tommy, and he was a good one. But rather, those sheep were being raised to be sacrificed. This is crazy. Total paradox. He is saving a sheep in one instance and then laying down sheep in another, be it for Passover or whatever meal. But that, that sheep was to give up its life, to give up its wool, to give up its life. 
for the purpose of the master. And there comes the surrender. And as it says in Hebrews 13, when I just said that Jesus brought back from the dead is the great shepherd of the sheep, listen to how the verse continues. It says in 21 that he would equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Not your will any longer. He saved you to send you out. He saved you to change you. He saved you that you might surrender and quit kicking against the goads, but instead to be like, you rescued me from all, I give you all. I surrender everything to you. How could I not? My life is yours. Now in this case, the analogy breaks down because he's not sacrificing you and asking you to physically die, but it does say in Luke chapter nine that if anyone would come after Jesus, he must take up his cross, deny himself daily to follow him. That there is a daily death of self and that daily death is a death to our own will. Like it's no longer my will, your will be done. That that's the only way to live. And so I'll tell you when my life changed, when my life radically changed, is, is when my life was falling apart, I placed my faith in Jesus, and then just like days later, I got on my knees uh, beside that couch that I was living on, face to the ground, and I surrendered everything. I was like, Jesus, you, I, I have been a really bad Lord of my life. You get everything. You get my money. You get my mind. You get my body. You get my relationships. You get my job. You get who I date. You get my computer. You get my phone. You get my car. You get where I live. You get my free time. You get everything. It's all yours. And in that surrendering came the greatest freedom. It's like I was just drowning, like barely getting a gasp of breath. And then like these weights were cut off and I was free, free. Because I was no longer daily battling, hourly battling between like the lust of the flesh and what I wanted with women versus like, no, my body is a temple. And those women are precious in the sight of the Lord. And I want to be rich, filthy, dirty, rich. I want to retire at 40 to like, I don't care about money anymore. This is actually a real problem in my life. And I want things. I want the townhouse, the lake house, the Land Rover, the BMW, all the things. That'll give me satisfaction to like, nah. Those things were a trap. And the more I had, the more they had me. And I want status. I want to make a name for myself. I want people to know John Elmore, advertising exec in Austin, Texas. Such a joke. To like, no, I want people to know about Jesus. He saved me. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling everybody that he is real. You are never too far gone and he can change everything. Forget my name, the name of Jesus. Forget my kingdom, his kingdom. Forget me trying to live by my power. It's all by his power. Forget me trying to live for my own vain glory. Let's live for Christ's glory. There was a surrendering and in that surrendering brought total freedom and joy and peace. I was no longer striving against God. I was was with him. We were at that same ranch and there's, we have trouble with hogs, uh, like feral hogs that just tear up the land, tear up the fence, the cows get out and all that. So we hunt the hogs. If you're an animal fan, I'm, I'm sorry. 
We didn't rescue them, we killed them. Uh, and uh, so we set the traps, steel traps, put on some corn, little trail of corn leading into it. The hog walks in, hits the tripwire, door shuts, shoot the hog, leave it for the vultures, circle of life. And uh, some of you just tuned out and some of you are like, I like him. Uh, one shot, one kill. Anyway, uh, that's how I'm training my, my son. But I, I, we, we go and we check the traps. And it's like hog, 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 baby hogs. That's a sad story. Anyway, we get to another one. We get to another one and there's a white-tailed deer. And this deer is like, I mean, if I can make the sound, like just like shredding itself full speed in a six by four steel cage, slamming its head as hard as it can into the sides, kicking, getting its legs stuck. It's got blood on its eyes. I mean, just like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I gotta get the deer out. And so uh, I start walking up to it. And at this point, it's, I mean, it was going crazy, now it's like bona fide out of its mind, this poor deer. You can see like, I mean, its tongue's hanging out. It hasn't had water for hours. It, it went in for the corn and now it's like so trapped. It thinks I'm like there to kill it. It's probably heard about me from the hogs, but I'm not, I'm there to free it. And I'm walking up and I'm now, at this point it feels even dangerous because this thing is flailing. And, and Laura's like, be careful, be careful. And I'm like, God, who are you talking to? And um, I've got to release the spring this big like garage door spring. And then I like take the latch and it's like freaking out at the other side of the cage. I swing the door open. And once that thing sees just a little two by three, no longer any kind of mesh, bolts like as fast and far as it can. And in that moment, it feels so free, but it's actually running to certain death. Like the best thing in the world for that deer to do would be to just like lay down at my feet. Dude, we'd adopt that thing. My daughter Penny, she would be like the best deer whisperer to that little injured deer. Like I got, I mean, it, we would adopt it. We would care for it. It'd be the best thing in the world. Like hand feed it, baby bottle of whatever deers drink. Is deers even a word? Deer, not plural. Anyway, and yet it just runs away. And I think so often God walks up to us and we're in that cage of sin and we're like, no, 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 you're here, to, you're here to do something to me. You wanna take away my desire to date and my desire for marriage or my aspirations at work. I know what you're up to, I know what you're doing. You're here to take away. And he's like, no, I'm here to free you. And he gets us free and we're like, see ya. <laughs> Joke's on you. And the best thing in the world is that we'd be like, did you save me? I'll surrender everything to you. I'm not going anywhere. I will be right here. If you're so good to put yourself at risk, walk up to me, set me free, why would I ever run away from you? And yet we do. We don't trust. It says in Romans chapter eight that life in accordance with the spirit, the mind in accordance with the spirit is life and peace. Isn't that what all of us want? Just, just life and peace. The, the, the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the doubt, the condemnation, the shame of the sexual sin, the chasing after money and status like I did for all my life, the, the haunting shame from maybe a, a past abortion, 
the condemnation you may feel from a divorce, the, 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 the shame, and, and even though it wasn't your fault, and I'm speaking first person of, of the sexual abuse I experienced as a kid that maybe you did also, of like, well, I'm not gonna tell anybody. I won't be loved. The control and anxiety that's just got you wrecked. And we want Jesus to free us, give us salvation, and then we just bolt. Like, I'll just do it on my own. And here tonight, you can be saved and surrender. We don't have to run away. He's come to save us and he's come to keep us safe. That deer probably got eaten by a coyote or shot by a hunter. If it would have stayed with me, everything would have been fine. And so that we would not only be saved, but we would be safe by staying with the one who frees us. It goes on in Psalm 40, verse eight. So I talked about how he saves us, and here it is, his surrendering. He says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. That there's now this delight of like, man, it is exhausting trying to live my life my way, that I would somehow have all the wisdom, all the power, all the charm, all the luck, all the, it's like, no, that's exhausting. Now it's your will. It's your will by your power for your glory. And so there's that surrendering that just like floods in peace tonight that can be for you because you are the lamb of Psalm 40 and Christ is the bog rider and you were saved to be surrendered and you were surrendered to be a sacrifice, not that would lead unto death like David's, but that we would be a living sacrifice. So you go to Romans 12 verse one walks through the entirety of the gospel and you get to chapter 12, verse one, and he says, therefore, Paul, writing by the Spirit, therefore, in view of God's mercy, and the mercy is that Christ entered into the bog of sin and death, that he left heaven, took on flesh, lived a sinless life, was persecuted and hit and scorned and shamed and beard torn out and spit upon and struck and crown of thorns and nailed to a cross. And it says, as if that wasn't enough physically, in Colossians chapter two, it says that the legal decree that stood opposed to us, this God set aside, nailing it to the cross that not only did he take all of that physical suffering, that every single sin that you have committed, if you were in Christ, was spiritually that weight. You know when you commit sin and you feel that guilt and condemnation? All of that was laid upon Jesus. The legal decree in which Satan said, they're guilty, God, you know it. Here it is. Here's all their sin. They're guilty. God said, you're right and I'm nailing it to the cross. And all of that was laid upon Jesus. He died the death that we deserved, was laid in the tomb, and three days later, rose again. He went in to the bog of sin and death for you. Hear me when I say it's not just that it's true, it is for you tonight, tonight. And it's not just that you might be saved, but that you would also be surrendered and quit living a double life. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You know it experientially. Like this is exhausting. Trying to live the Dallas life and the Christ life. And I can't enjoy either one. 
because I'm convicted when I'm here. And I feel like I'm maybe missing out when I'm here. And so put to death the desires of the flesh by the spirit. Live a surrendered life. And tonight you can choose, you get it all. You saved me from all, you get it all. And not only to be surrendered, but that you would speak about it. That's the outline of Psalm 40. You've been saved, you surrender, and then you speak about it. And why, why would you speak about it? Because there's 3,000 people here. There's however many viewing in Fort Worth, Indianapolis, Tulsa, and all beyond. And so great, you're here, you're hearing about it. Good news for you. Well, you're going to go to work. You're going to go to your internship. You're going to go back to your roommates. You're going to go back to your family on summer vacation. You're going to be interacting with a waitress at a restaurant. And they have sin. You can be sure of it. But maybe they don't have a savior. And so you can tell them about the great bog rider. Just like my grandfather told about me. And I got to tell about him. Because Laura and I, had been saved, we then lived to speak about him to others. And so there we are, now on my knees again, but this time with my dying grandfather sitting in an easy chair. And he would never leave that easy chair until he went to his bed in which he would die in. And we're sitting there and we're saying, hey, it's about to get dark. You're going to die. And when you do, you'll face judgment and you will spend eternity in heaven or hell. Are you ready? Is there anything keeping you from placing your faith in Jesus? And he resisted and resisted and resisted. And we persisted and persisted and persisted. And I said, before you die, and you will, just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. That's all you have to say. You just cry out from the bog. That's it. Waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. And my grandfather looked at me and he said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. It's the first time he'd ever said anything close to Christianity. And I said, Daw, are you just saying that to me or are you praying a prayer? Because I can have an atheist say those words. And he said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. And I said, would you like for me to lead you in a prayer right now to receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, to receive the forgiveness of sins, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be born again and to go to heaven when you die? And he reached out these decaying, feeble, cancer-filled body hands and said, I'm ready. And I just pray, and we've been praying all day, that you're ready, that you're ready tonight. Don't delay. There's a whole world of temptation and deception out there waiting. So some need to trust in Jesus tonight for the forgiveness of sins and others need to be like, I'm done serving two masters. Tonight's your night. I surrender all to be saved and surrender and then to speak out 
for others. He trusted in Jesus, and in the midst of that, my wife was going through breast cancer. She's okay now, but in the midst of it, we didn't know what was gonna happen. And in the midst of that breast cancer journey, this is two years ago, I'm just like, hey God, could you speak to me? Like I see, you know, people are bringing meals. That's nice. I need a little more than food right now. I could use a word from you and I'm reading your word, I'm searching the scriptures and if you could just say something like the silence is painful. And you said the Holy Spirit's the comforter and the counselor and I'm not hearing anything. And this would be a really good time to speak because my wife has breast cancer and I got three little kids and I don't want to be single dad and could you just say something? And there was silence. And I shared the story about the bog rider in church and then I got this text of a picture. And I was like, the second I looked at it, <laughs> I, heard, I, I heard, not audibly, but in my mind, God say, I'm carrying Laura. I'm carrying Laura. <laughs> and I have in a sense, that picture here for you tonight because what, what you may not have known or realized and likely don't is that this whole time tonight, someone's been at work. They've been at work very intentionally, very purposefully, making something, creating something to portray the gospel. Just like tonight in your hearing, all your life, from birth until this point tonight on June 13th, God has been at work. He has been at work in all the design, in all the detail, in all the redemption, in all the pain, in all the difficulty. He has been working unto tonight that you would be saved or surrendered. And so I want to now show you and introduce to you uh, a friend, a brother in Christ, and what's been happening this entire time is we've been talking about the bog rider. Is there's been this sketch, and this, this sketch by our friend and brother in Christ right here, John Fleming, that was the gift someone gave to me. You're gonna see it on the screen, the completion. This is a print. And I'm gonna let him tell you what the name of it is and why he created it. John doesn't want me to say this, but I want you to know it. He's a world-renowned artist and he's a brother in Christ. And this work has great spiritual meaning. When I saw this picture on my phone, I was like, I heard God say, I'm carrying Laura. And then somebody gave me this. If you come into my office ever, you're gonna see that print in that frame on my wall because I want everyone to know about Christ, the great bog rider, and that he saved us and he'll keep us safe. And so I asked John, I said, will you come and would you do this? And uh, he's like, man, I don't want it to be about me. And I was like, it won't be, it's about Jesus. That's why you painted it in the first place. And so uh, I want John to now share what he shared with me. Thanks, John. Um, so John and I have been having some conversations over the last uh, several weeks, but we had a conversation yesterday and um, he just asked me to share with him what, uh, what this piece means. And I just said, hey, John, I said, Savior is based on a photo I saw of a cowboy or bog rider carrying a calf. 
The added symbolism tells the story of trouble all around. You've got obvious signs, cactus, um, rough terrain, storms. Um, the added symbolism tells the story of trouble all around. Some that we even tangle with and get caught up in. But the Father is there to save, forgive, and reconcile us to Him. It is never too late to come to Him and be forgiven, restored, renewed, whether you're a believer who has strayed, and there's another picture of a cow or a calf running away from um, uh, from, from the cowboy, whether you're a believer who has strayed or rebelled or an unbeliever coming to Jesus for the first time. And then uh, in Psalm 40, verses 12 and, and 13, I just shared this, or, or I, I added this to my text to John. I just said, because this, this really spoke to me. I said, it said, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. And the reason those verses spoke to me in just 100% uh, transparency here is because uh, I came to Jesus as a, as a boy of eight years old. Uh, but this season of life, uh, I've really been struggling with, with pride and selfishness. And that's just, uh, just real transparent. And so I just, uh, I, I just want you guys to know that, um, as, as John has already shared, that um, surrender is, um, is, is key. And, and I think that that's something as a, as a believer for many years, um, I, I, I have been that stray, and I have wandered, and and God is is uh, reconciling me to Him, uh, and it's it's a painful process, but uh, it's like I, I mentioned, it's never it's never too late. So, John, thank thanks for letting me be here. Thank you, John. Love you, brother. Thank you. So it says in Psalm 40, we can be saved to surrender and then to speak. I want to read to you now the ones about speaking. David says, having been saved by Christ, I will proclaim and tell them, yet there are more that can be told. That's of God's wondrous deeds and thoughts towards us. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more than can be told. And then in verse 9, he says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And then the title of the psalm you find in the very last line, as for me, I am poor and needy. It's like he never forgot 
Man, I surrendered once and for all, and I surrender daily. I need the gospel daily. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. And I would say, do not delay tonight. The band's gonna come back up and we're gonna sing a song in response to the great bog rider, Jesus Christ our Lord. And I wanna invite some of you, and I don't care if you're in the last row of the balcony, it'll only take a few seconds. But there's gonna be a team up front here and they can, they can come forward now to receive you, that you might receive Christ. So tonight, if you wanna come forward and be like, I, I wanna place my faith in Jesus, I, I wanna be forgiven of my sins, and come forward tonight as this song plays. And if you're like, I need to surrender, I've been saved, but I've been living the double life. I've, I've been living with two masters and now I want to surrender. Tonight, June 13th, I wanna surrender all. Him not just be savior, but be Lord. And I don't wanna just be free, I wanna stay by my savior. And you can come forward too. As they bring down the lights and the band goes on, this place is open. And this time is yours. Do not delay. Let's stand now and sing to Jesus. <laughs>